If you would take your, your Bible with me to, to the book of Genesis, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13, and we'll read through Genesis chapter 7, verse 10. I'm grateful for the ability to, to gather together uh, in, in person this morning, and I know many of you are worshiping online with us as well, and I'm grateful for that opportunity also, uh, the technology that affords us that ability is, is, is uh, pretty incredible, um, but I do want to point out the fact that what unifies us isn't something, that, uh, isn't something that we can do or not do online or in person, but the Holy Spirit of, of, of God given to us through Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so this morning, uh, again, people may be choosing to worship online, they may be choosing to worship here in person that which we have, that's which contain, that which is contained within us, is greater than any decision that we've made this morning. It is about the the unifying force, Jesus Jesus Christ, and and His His Spirit granted to us as as believers. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of each and every one of us, and so we will continue to be to be unified as we move move forward as a church. Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to read through Genesis chapter 7, verse 10 this morning. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks, for behold, I will bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven." Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. One of the, bir- of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male of his mate, and seven pairs of birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain unto the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. 
And Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. We think of this story in particular and how it's recorded here in Genesis chapter 6 and 7. Um, we know that Noah gets a lot of kids' content uh, developed for him. Our kids have like a Noah's Ark toy, um, usually in your children's Bible. It may actually be even on the front of your children's Bible. You see uh, Noah's, uh, Noah's Ark right there. It's probably because there's a boat and some water. Those are cool things. Lots of animals, uh, and you can determine with your toddlers what animal makes which sound, um, and that's a very helpful cognitive development uh, uh, exercise for, for your kids. Um, so we see this white-haired, white-bearded, smiley man sticking his head out of a window of the ark and a bunch of animals as well uh, makes for a lot of a lot of fun with your kids but when we read this text i think that we find that there's something a whole lot more bleak going on here than uh than than what's usually displayed in your typical children's bible or in your kids toys and we have to ask ourselves the question what do we think about the story of Noah? What are we meant to think about the story of Noah? Why is this recorded for us in the way that it's recorded for us? Uh, what is this story, why is the story of Noah and this epic flood included in, in Genesis? We take it for granted because we know it so well, but why in fact is it included here? And I think that's a big question that we need to ask ourselves before we dive into uh, understanding maybe some of the points that that is that are being made. If you remember last week, we talked about uh, ancient Israel and how ancient Israel came up against the Red Sea and God delivered them by parting the Red Sea and the Israelites walked through the Red Sea and then the Red Sea came crashing down on the pursuing army of the of Pharaoh and uh, and we know that the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, know something to be true about deliverance. They know something to be true. They've experienced it. And so when we look at Noah, we see a, a story of God's deliverance. And so Moses wrote Genesis, and when he wrote Genesis, he had something in mind. He wanted to include some key ideas for the ancient Israelites to have in mind when they thought about their own experience and when they thought about who the one true and living God is. And so uh, we ask the question, why is the story of the epic flood included? Uh, and I think the short answer to that question is because it's going to give us a lot of really helpful categories to think rightly about God's plan to deliver his people from sin and death. It's going to give us a lot of really helpful categories to think rightly about God's plan to deliver his people from sin and, and death. And so we ask ourselves, what are those categories? That's what I want to focus our time on this morning. Think about it in the same way as you would if you got a new job. Um, or if you took up a new hobby, you would need to learn a new language. There are many different things that you would need to have in mind um, when you take up a new job or a new hobby. 
There may be new words that you need to learn or de new definitions to old terms that you, that you thought you knew. Just a new way of speaking. If you get a new piece of technology, you probably have to understand a list of numbers and letters that all come together in, in strange ways in order to use that technology properly. And so again, this is about giving the people of God the right language to speak about who their God is. It's about a, a, a right way to think about the categories in which, in which God talks about himself uh, to the ancient Israelites and ultimately to, ultimately to, to us as, as people. So I want to consider closely then three things that this passage trains us to think about God in the way that he delivers his, his people. The first thing is simply this, and it's a very simple observation that we find in this text, and, and even one that we explored last week a little bit, but want to continue exploring this week. It's what makes this whole story even necessary. It's that God cannot tolerate sin. God cannot tolerate sin. And because we spent a sheer a, 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 a time talking about the sheer weight of sin last week, the first half of chapter 6, as we explored, gives us a lot of thoughts about sin and how it had taken over the earth. And we think about back to uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. There's this summary statement for the weight of sin that's contained here. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention and the thoughts of his heart was only evil, evil continually. That's a pretty big statement. Only evil continually. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart. Those ideas that are contained here give us a, a really important portrait of what sin is and how pervasive it is in the world that Noah lived. We see in verse 13 of chapter 6 then, this is where we started our reading this morning. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so God says, I'm going to make an end to all flesh. We're going to be done with this, this situation here. Um, Noah and his family excluded from this judgment, of, of course. But this all comes as a result of the fact that God cannot tolerate sin. God cannot tolerate sin. And now this is a point that can't be made enough. God is patient. He is slow to anger. And this is, this is emphasized here also. This is emphasized in this, in this story. Because God gives Noah a long time to build the ark. He gives him a lot of lead time. He patiently waits for Noah to complete the appointed task. God was not going to fail to deliver Noah and Noah's family. God doesn't just lose it one day and say, you know what, I'm done with it. Noah, you're taking too long to build the boat. You're done. He doesn't say that. Judgment is coming, but after a patient period. And this brings up an interesting point in this text. What makes deliverance necessary is God's corrective action against the sin of mankind. And this holds true throughout all of Scripture. 
The, the, what makes deliverance necessary is God's corrective action against the sin of mankind. The flood was judgment against sin. And the wrath of God came in the form of the floodwaters. And th- this is the case for us too. It's not, it's not different for us. The, the reason that deliverance is necessary for us, although it comes through a different means than the ark, is because of sin and the fact that God cannot, in fact, tolerate it. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that God is patient and he's slow to anger. So the question is, how do we marry those two ideas together? How does the Bible marry those two things together? God does not tolerate sin, but we must not presume on God's Patience. Just because God is patient and slow to anger doesn't mean that we should be slow to repent. And so don't go confusing the fact that God doesn't hit people with bolts of lightning when they sin. Don't go confusing that fact that God is indifferent towards sin. In fact, he is absolutely not indifferent towards sin. But that seems to be the conclusion that many people draw. They fail to love God and the neighbor. They dabble in secret sin in the corners of their heart. They lust. They harbor bitterness and unforgiveness. They lash out at the kids and spouse and blame it on the lack of sleep. And they wake up the next day and life goes on. Life goes on. But friends, this passage communicates to us that God is not indifferent towards sin. God's Just because he's patient doesn't mean that he is indifferent. So when Moses wrote this to the ancient Israelites, they had experienced God's patience. Even as they faithlessly grumbled and openly indulged in idolatry time and time again, they experienced God's patience. They and we need to have the reminder that while God is patient, He cannot ultimately tolerate sin, and He does not. There is a flood coming for Noah and for his contemporaries. It came in the form of an epic flood that destroyed the entire earth. For us, it will come in the form of God's wrath. A great flood uh, that comes in judgment of our sin. Now there is good news here that's contained here. And you need to have these categories. You need to be able to understand that God is so set against sin that he would, in fact, destroy the entire earth with a flood. Sin is a big deal. Sin carries weight. But there is good news, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but God sent Jesus Christ, who is a wrath-absorbing substitute for us. And so we can pass through the waters of judgment unscathed as Noah did. So that's the first thing, though. God cannot tolerate sin. The second thing that we see here is that God's way is the best way. Um, we get a lot of really great, material, uh, great details about uh, uh, the materials and the d- design of the ark. Beginning in verse 14, we see that... Uh, that Noah is to make the ark out of gopher wood. He's to use pitch. The dimensions of the ark are revealed to us. The the design of the roof and the deck and the door, where the door should go. All of these ideas and concepts are are given to us here as God gives them to to Noah. 
And God or and, and Noah builds the ark according to God's plan. He builds the ark according to the dimensions that God that God gives him. Look at the end of chapter 6 and verse 22. Uh, it's recorded Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And then look at verse 5 of chapter 7. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. So we know that the dimensions that were given to Noah he, he took them to heart, and he, he did what, what God had planned for him. Noah didn't say, how about some cedar or oak? I like gopher wood, but I think oak is probably a better choice. He didn't say, how about you really put some pitch on this side, but maybe a little bit less over here, or maybe none on this spot altogether. He builds the ark according to God's plan. God gives Noah the dimensions of his deliverance. And and this should cause us to stop and slow down and think about the dimensions of our own deliverance. Jesus Christ is the way that we will pass through the waters of judgment. God's ultimate plan to deliver mankind from sin and death is through Jesus Christ. These are the dimensions of our deliverance. God's ultimate plan to deliver mankind comes exclusively through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture communicates to us. Jesus is the only way to be saved. But we, we as people, and the ancient Israelites did this as well, but we as people quickly drift into other thoughts. I can do the right thing and get by, we say. I can compare myself to people who aren't doing the right thing and be fine. I'm better than those guys over there doing the thing that they're doing. We'd love to prop ourselves up as the perfect example. And we think that if others just met our standard, then they could achieve the enlightened state that they need to in order to be right with God. As we, as we walk through, say, a global pandemic, like we're doing right now, we see a lot of this. Many people, including some of us probably in this room or watching at home, have made our opinions about what people should and, should and shouldn't do the standard. Some of us have thought that others will be delivered through thinking more like us. If that's you, you need to repent. That's not the way that this works. Binding others to our opinions and to our perspectives is self-serving and makes little of the deliverance offered to us in Jesus Christ. Rather, we need to be grounded and bound exclusively to God's word and his commands to love neighbor, be selfless, humble, among many other qualities that are communicated to us. Scripture condemns the self-righteousness that we are quickly prone to fall into. The God-given dimensions of our deliverance do not include our opinions on on the blueprint. The deliverance from sin and death that God offers to us comes exclusively through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And his way is, without question, the best way. That's what this is about. The the third thing that we see here is that God keeps his promises. Look at what God says to Noah in verse 17 and 18. 
He says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. That's a promise that God gives. Now, that's the negative promise. There's a positive one that's coming in verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And so God is saying, I'm going to establish a covenant with you, which is coming. He's going to outline that covenant more fully in the next in the next few verses after our passage this morning. But uh, he's going to he's going to outline and he's going to deliver uh, Noah and his family through the waters of of judgment. Now, put yourself in Noah's spot for one one moment. Just put yourself in his position. Does that seem absurd to you what God asks Noah to do to build this boat out of gopher wood and pitch? All Noah has to go on here is God's word. That's all he has. He doesn't have a sign. He doesn't have a wonder. He doesn't have a big flashy experience or event. Noah's just told to build a goofy boat out of gopher wood and out of pitch. And then he's promised that God will establish a covenant with him and his family. That, to me, doesn't feel like a whole lot to go on. So, so far in our time in, in, in Genesis, we've gone to Hebrews, the book in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, a couple of times, because we've saw, seen two characters outlined for us or given uh, details about them in Hebrews 11. Uh, a few weeks ago, or I mean, it's been a while now, but when we talked about Abel, we saw the that Hebrews 11 commends Abel for his faith. And when we, look at, uh, and we looked at uh, Enoch just a couple of weeks ago, we saw that, that uh, he is, Enoch is also commended for his faith. And Noah is commended in that chapter as well. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God, concerned events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he has condemned by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we see here that Noah acts in faith. But we might be tempted to think that faith is not knowing what will happen and then doing something anyway, but that's not what's communicated here. The faith of Noah was grounded in God's promise to deliver him and his family. And then the establishment of a covenant Noah saw that God's promise to deliver him and his family was from the coming flood and that God would preserve Noah as the one who would continue God's purposes on earth. When all mankind would be blotted out, Noah would remain. Noah would be the one who would stick around, who would be present when all of this was over. And he'd be the one who would reflect God's image to the world in the way that God commanded Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 to, to be those who, who multiplied and filled the earth and exercised dominion over it and subdued the earth. Noah would be the last one. He would be the last one who would carry this out. He would be the remnant. He would be the last image bearer. And so Noah acts in faith. And when God blots out mankind from the face of the earth, it doesn't take away from the fact 
that Noah acted in faith, and he's delivered because of it. Now, despite acting in faith in this scenario, in this situation, Noah was a flawed man, and we find out in later chapters that he would fall into sin. But God is faithful. God is all-knowing. He knows what's coming. God is faithful despite knowing that Noah would not always act in faith. So in conclusion then, we saw these three things this morning. Three things that God can't tolerate sin. God's way is the best way. And God always keeps his promises. The, again, the ancient Israelites needed a better understanding of, of how to process, how to think about the deliverance that God had, had brought them when they came out of the land of, of Egypt. They needed categories to think about who God is and what he had done for them. So we ask ourselves, what, what should we take away as we consider who God is? I think the first thing is this. Just because God is patient and slow to anger doesn't mean that we should be slow to repent. Just because God is patient and slow to anger doesn't mean that we should be slow to repent. Repentance is acknowledging your sin and turning from it. And if you're a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit who convicts you of sin and who strengthens you to, uh, to, into the practice of repentance, of turning away from your sin and moving the opposite direction from it. Uh, and the reality, though, is that for many of us in a socially distant reality right now, have more opportunity to indulge this indulge sinful flesh. Uh, the allure of images, say, on the internet, the percentage of time viewing explicit material on the internet has skyrocketed over the last eight weeks. Or maybe you've found feelings of bitterness towards those who seem to have handled the season well or better than you have. You endure the same difficulties as you and your family. Or maybe your heart has grown cold to the things of God and you've doubted or denied that God is who he claims to be in his word. Maybe you and your spouse have struggled with disrupted rhythms as a result of being around each other way more or way less, depending on what your work demands of you. Maybe you've given yourself over to resentment. Maybe you've given into fear and worry about your health or your finances in a failing economy. Don't be deceived. Your circumstances may be changing, but you are responsible for your actions and for your reactions. Be quick to repent, not slow. Jesus in Luke 13 was talking to a group of people. And in verses 4 and 5, he, account, he takes into account this situation where there's a tower that falls and kills 18 people. Jesus says it wasn't because those who died were worse sinners than those who were who were who they, who was speaking to. You know, they didn't die because they were terrible people. You're just as terrible. Is essentially what he's saying. And he issues the warning. He says, "Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish." He's telling the people, "Don't be slow to repent. Towers fall on people." Car accidents take people too soon. Cancer takes people too soon. God is patient. 
But the world is uncertain. Repent of your sin and turn to God. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you your sin and give you the power to abandon it. Do that this week. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you your sin and to abandon it, to give you the power to abandon it this week. The second takeaway is this. Since God's way is the best way, don't don't reinvent the wheel. You are saved by grace through faith. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. You're saved by grace through faith. This is the exclusive way that we can be saved. God set forth a substitutionary sacrifice in Jesus Christ in order that you might pass through the waters of judgment unharmed, just like Noah passed through the waters of judgment along with his family. You may be tempted, though, to reinvent the wheel by making it about your good works. You may be tempted to reinvent the wheel by saying, people, you all need to subscribe to my ideological system or my political position or just use common sense. Anything that you rely on for salvation that isn't Jesus Christ is reinventing the wheel. Jesus is God's way of delivering his people from sin and death. You're not going to find a better system. You are not going to come up with a better system today or tomorrow or the next day. It is impossible. God has a perfect plan and he's communicated it through his word. Third and final takeaway. You need, this week, you need a steady diet of God's promises. You need a steady diet of God's promises. God promises to deliver his people from sin and death through Jesus Christ. We see God promise deliverance to Noah in our text. And for us, that comes not through an ark made of gopher wood and pitch, but through Jesus Christ. And there is nothing that can disrupt God's faithfulness in keeping his promises. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that Jesus is the yes to all of the promises of of God. But I think that us, we in this room, have probably feasted on a lot of empty calories this week when it comes to understanding our world and the things that are going on in it. A lot of empty messages that come through social media or other means. Those messages are the empty calories I'm talking about. There's something like, we're all in the same boat. Is that meant to give me peace? Stay positive. These are nice sayings, but they're a lukewarm hot dog on a stale bun when a steak dinner is being offered to you. Consider three promises. Three promises. Scripture is laden with promises from God, but consider what... But uh, just these three, and maybe make these the place that you go this week. Isaiah writes, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Paul, in Romans 8, writes, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are substance. These are not meaningless quips. These are 
your God speaking to you and promising you something. Everything else will burn up and blow away. The cultural messages that are present around you and swirling around you this morning will burn up and blow away, probably in the next 24 to 48 hours. These are everlasting, never-ending, always true. They're not platitudes for a momentary burst of energy to get you through a tough day or a tough minute. They are the very words of God designed to sustain His people through unrelenting difficulties that the world will continue to throw our way. Friends, the dimensions of deliverance are God's work, not ours. The promises of God to deliver His people from sin and death and to carry us through to the end through Jesus Christ those promises are for you. Like Noah, hear the word of God and believe. Let's pray.